Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Welcome to New Reflections. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein. I'm the host, board-certified plastic surgeon, and host of New Reflections. We have a very important show this week, and we talk about all things having to do with health, wellness, and beauty here on New Reflections, and we've talked about lots of different topics, but this topic we're talking about today is really, really important, and uh, it's something that will affect a large number of you listening, if it hasn't already affected you. The topic today is skin cancer, and the show is called Sunbathe or Sunban, and we're talking about skin cancer all day today. Of course, there are three main types of skin cancer. We're talking about squamous cell carcinoma, basal cell carcinoma, and malignant melanoma, and we're going to get into all three and things that you can do to prevent it, ways that we have to treat it, and all sorts of things having to do with skin cancer. You're welcome to call into the show if you have any questions or concerns. And this is something that affects lots and lots of people. Remember, you can always call the show at 866-472-5792. Now, talking about skin cancer, skin cancer actually is the most common cancer in the United States. One in five people will have skin cancer in their lifetime. And this is something that really will affect lots of people, and we're lucky today to have uh, some guests coming on to talk about some very interesting things. The first guest that we're going to be speaking to in just a few minutes is Dr. Dan Rivlin. He's a board-certified dermatologist and dermatopathologist, and he specializes in Mohs surgery. He has a tremendous amount of knowledge about skin cancer. We'll be talking all about the three types of skin cancer and ways that we can prevent it and treat it throughout the show. And in, in the middle of the show, we'll be talking with someone from uh, a life support network for Gorlin syndrome, the basal cell carcinoma and Neva syndrome life support network. That's uh, Christy Burr. She's the executive director. She'll be joining us towards the middle of the show to talk about this rare but terrible syndrome having to do with basal cell carcinoma and talk about her work and, and the support network's work in helping people with that syndrome. So one in five of you listening to this will have a skin cancer in your lifetime. There have been three and a half million cases that were recorded in, in the year 2006. It's very hard to get accurate statistics because these are the sort of things that get diagnosed in doctor's offices all the time and there's no requirement to report them. So the best estimate that I could find was about three and a half million cases and that was from the year 2006. Now I will tell you that the year 2011 there were approximately 12,000 deaths related to skin cancer. You don't think a skin cancer is something that can kill you, but it can, especially when we're talking about malignant melanoma. But of those 12,000 skin cancers, only 9,000 of them had to do with malignant melanoma. There were 3,000 deaths in the United States in the year 2011 related to skin cancers that were not melanoma. And so we really need to get into this. This is something that's important for everyone, man, women, uh, whether you're older, younger, children, if you have children, very important to protect them from this because skin cancer, though it's the most common cancer in the United States, it's one of the most preventable. And we're going to talk about that. Let's get right into it. I want to introduce my first guest. First guest today is Dr. Dan Rivlin. He's a board-certified dermatologist and a board-certified dermatopathologist who practices right here in my backyard in Miami, Florida. Dan is one of the great experts in skin care, and we're lucky to have him on the show. Dr. Rivlin, thanks for joining us here on New Reflections. Yeah, Adam, it's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you taking your time to talk with us. You know, this is a topic that really affects everyone. Now, can you elaborate a little bit on the risks of skin cancer? You know, people out there, certainly here in Miami, everyone knows sun exposure is important. But let's talk about some of the other things that can put you at risk. How do you know if you're putting yourself at risk for skin cancer? What are the things that can affect it? Well, I think the first thing we have to talk about, and I think you mentioned it in your introduction, is the difference between melanoma and the non-melanoma skin cancers, basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. There's been a lot of evidence recently that melanoma is probably more of a genetic disease than actually related to sun exposure and some of the other 
<clears throat> carcinogens that are commonly thought to cause skin cancer. However, there are some people who think there may be subtypes of melanomas that may be sun-related. So the important thing with melanoma is to know your family history. If both parents have had melanoma, statistically speaking, your chance of developing a melanoma at some point in your life is almost 100%. Now, that's it's shocking. I mean, that's, that really is important. I you know I've seen lots of patients with melanoma, and, and I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that family history was that important. It's certainly, there's an increased risk, but I had no idea that if both parents had it, 100% is, uh, <laughs> that, that's really shocking. Yeah, it, it's true. And, and this is, uh, of course, a change that has occurred uh, epidemiologically. We all thought for years melanoma was sun-related, but a lot of the recent work in epidemiologic research has really pointed to the fact that it's more of a genetic disease. So, you know, of course, for certain people who may be adopted and don't know their family history, you know, it's difficult to tell. But if you know that a first-degree relative has had melanoma, then your odds of getting melanoma is probably 50 times higher than the rest of the population. And so what do you think, what is the overall risk? I mean, melanoma is far less common than the non-melanoma, the squamous cell and basal cell carcinomas. In, in an average lifetime, you give an estimated risk for just someone listening that they might end up having a melanoma? Well, I mean, if there's no family history, I, I think the risk is relatively low. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I still think it's a good idea to get skin checks because, you know, those exact numbers are, are hard to quantify now that, you know, our, our thinking has sort of changed about it. Of course, the other problem, and without making things too complicated for your listeners, is melanoma may be somewhat underdiagnosed because uh, sometimes, you know, people are diagnosed with conditions called, for example, dysplastic nevi with severe dysplasia. And I think a good number of those are actually early melanomas, and they never really get reported because they're cut out, since usually that's the standard of care for that particular diagnosis, and no one ever hears about it because they were cut out early. And and the thing about melanoma is it's really a completely curable disease if it's caught early. So as long as, you know, people are getting checked frequently, and now we have incredible devices to find these things earlier. There, there's something called a confocal microscope, which is a microscope that can put be put directly on the skin where individual cells are visualized. And with uh, dermatoscopes, which are becoming more and more popular in the United States, have really been the standard of care in Europe for many years, we're able to catch these things uh, very often at a very curable uh, uh, state. So, um, again, you know, in terms of what to do, the only thing to do is go in and get checked, especially if you know that you have a, a significant family history. So it sounds like there there still is going to be some sporadic or just kind of randomly occurring melanomas that may or may not be related to the sun, although we, we probably believe that they are. Uh the melanomas that you, that you're talking about, we're still going to see some for the average person that may not have family history, but it's particularly important that if anyone in your family has had a melanoma in the past you're aware of, that you really get skin checks on a regular basis. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Absolutely. And I, and I would say at least once a year, if there's no significant family history, and if there's a significant family history, probably twice a year is the right way to go. And the reason I say that is because the one subtype of melanoma, which is the most deadly, which we call nodular melanoma, uh, actually a paper was recently written that demonstrated that the average growth rate of that lesion is half a millimeter per month. So these things can get to a point where they're at a deadly size fairly quickly, probably within six months. So if you have a significant family history, probably twice a year, is the, is the amount of times you should be uh, examined. All right, so let's talk about the non-melanoma. Uh, we'll get back to melanoma later when we're talking about treatments and diagnosis, and, and I'm curious to hear about some of the, the newer techniques you're mentioning. But let's talk about the non-melanoma skin cancers. We're talking about squamous cell carcinoma and basal cell carcinoma. Talking about risk factors for that, what activities or, or things about a person can put them at greater risk for each of those? Well, <clears throat> The, the top three risk factors for those are sun, sun, and sun. Ultraviolet <laughs> exposure is really uh, the main risk factor. 
There, there are other risk factors, people who grew up drinking well water that may have been tainted with arsenic, uh, especially in the Midwestern part of the United States, uh, might be at risk. Uh, and certain genetic diseases, I, I, you uh, said you're going to have somebody on from the Gorlins uh, Disease Foundation earlier, and, uh, and xeroderma pigmentosum, but these are more rare. But ultraviolet uh, radiation is probably the single biggest risk factor as you know, practicing in South Florida, we are the skin cancer capital of the entire world. And I think that's a combination of age and sun exposure because we're seeing a lot of people who've been in the sun for greater than 30 or 40 years, and that's why we see so much uh, skin cancer in South Florida. But, you know, now, now I, you, may, you bring up an interesting point because I, I talk about this with my patients a lot, you know, when I, especially when I lecture just about skin care in general and, of course, recommending sunblock, but... It's important to understand that the damage that happens today that might ultimately become a cancer takes a very long time to become a cancer that you can actually see. And we're talking many, many years. That is correct. Uh, there was a study that was published, uh, I think, about 10 years ago that examined exactly that. And what they found is that there's probably a median time of 20 to 25 years between the time of the really severe sun exposure and the time that skin cancers begin to develop on the skin. So if you have, uh, you know, I've, I always think about my, my dad's story. Uh, they, my parents were vacationing in Las Vegas, and he fell asleep laying at the pool. And, of course, you know what the sun's like in the desert in Las Vegas. Sure. He, wo- he woke up uh, red as a lobster and had to, you know, like a stick figure, waddle his way back to the room, but now had a tremendous burn on his forehead. So now, you know, when that happened, you, you remember the story, but you don't think about it. It could be 20 years before a squamous cell or basal cell shows up on his skin. And that's absolutely correct and consistent with this, what this particular paper had discussed. So, you know, that's why I guess we're seeing a lot more of these problems in the older patients, because it's cumulative risk too, right? I mean, isn't it? Uh, it's not just having the, a bad exposure; it's over the years, multiple exposures and cumulative amounts of ultraviolet radiation absolutely. exposure. A- absolutely, one hundred percent. And remember, a lot of the people that we're seeing who are maybe in their, you know, sixties and older, uh, back when they were kids, did have sunscreen. Everyone thought it was healthy to get a little sunburn, a little suntan. You know, obviously, they didn't know back then. So these people got an awful lot of sun exposure. Oh, yeah. I remember every, every time I talk about this, I, I always think back and talk about the baby oil with iodine mixed in that people were using. And then the, the reflectors. You know, God forbid you missed a ray of sunshine that wasn't hitting your body. You reflected it back at you. Because we were all trying to be George Hamilton, you know, that deep <laughs> copper tone tan, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and look, it, 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 the truth is people thought that was healthy back then. Of course, now we know very differently. I don't know that we're doing such a good job of convincing the younger people today to stay out of the sun. I, you know, certainly the beaches on Miami Beach are full of young people, and I think a lot of them are not using sunscreen. But we've made some impact. I think people are using sunscreen, and I think sunscreen does make a big difference, especially uh, if you're using some of the better sunscreens. Um, and, and especially with the higher SPFs. And uh, so, you know, we'll see. We, we, we're not going to know um, for another 20 years or so what kind of impact we've had, but we'll see if, if we are affecting some of the younger people. But the problem is we know, for instance, the tanning industry is still flourishing. Oh, yeah. Now, we're going to talk about that. And we're talking about sunscreens. It, you're not completely safe just because you've put on a little bit of sunblock. And, you know, it, it doesn't actually block all damaging rays of the sun. In fact, people like to lay out and get a tan. Now, what, what you don't know when you're getting a tan is you, a tan is your body's natural defense against the sun. It's not something that, you know, is a healthy glow, though we like the way it looks, that once you get tanned, you're already fighting the damaging effects of the sun. So that, you know, That's correct. Yeah, Adam, and I think a lot of people don't really know what SPF means on a sunscreen. And, for instance, just to keep it very simple, if, if a sunscreen has an SPF of 10, what that means is if it would normally take you, let's say, 10 minutes of being in the midday sun for your skin to turn red, 
if you use a sunscreen with an SPF of 10, uh, essentially it would take uh, 10 times longer. So it would be 100 minutes. But if you stay out in the sun for 100 minutes, you're still going to turn red. And if you turn red, there's been damage, and that can lead down the road to skin cancer and all the other aging effects that I'm, I'm sure you've covered with your listeners. Oh, yeah. And we're going to be talking about uh, the ways to choose sunscreen and you know what the different types are and all about that. We need to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about skin cancer, its prevention, and its treatment. And we'll be right back after these short words on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back. Welcome back to New Reflections. We're having a, a very interesting discussion, a very important discussion about skin cancer, and I'm joined by Dr. Dan Rivlin, a board-certified dermatologist and dermatopathologist here in Miami. And we were just talking about sunblock and uh, that when once you start getting a tan and you, if you're starting to get a little red, you're already beyond the protection of the sunscreen that you're using. And just because you're using it doesn't mean you're not at some amount of risk. So it's just being out in the sun and laying out is generally not a great thing to do for your skin. But there are other things that may contribute to the causes of skin cancer. So let's talk a little bit about that. During the break, uh, Dr. Rivlin and I were talking a little bit about smoking. And it's a little bit of controversial uh, subject as to whether smoking definitely increases risk or not. It certainly points that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think uh, our gut feeling from seeing all the patients that we've seen is that smoking does increase the risk. We certainly see worse and more invasive skin cancers in smokers. But the problem is what we're lacking is definitive evidence. As we spoke about during the break, I, I've never seen a really good epidemiologic paper that you know definitive, definitively isolates smoking as a risk factor. But I think our gut feeling is that that, that that is the case, and certainly we see, uh, you know, certainly more invasive skin cancers in smokers. Well, let's talk about other risk factors. And we talk about the sun's radiation. What other types of radiation or exposure might lead someone to, to having a higher risk? Well, um, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen, as I have, many older patients who received radiation therapy for their acne years ago. That was a oh, common yeah. treatment for acne many years ago, and those people certainly are at higher risk and get more invasive and just more skin cancers, mostly on the face where they'd, where they'd had the radiation. Remember, a lot of people got radiation on their back, and, and that's another area that we've, we've had to deal with it. And, and then, you know, some of these people who get post-cancer radiation for other types of cancer, we see 20, 25 years later tend to 
have a little higher incidence of skin cancer in the areas that were radiated. So that's certainly a factor, but I don't know how avoidable that is now because I think most of the radiation that's being given now is probably necessary. Right. Well, and also it's a different nature. I think you should keep in mind, if you're listening, I certainly hope very few people listening have to worry about breast cancer or other forms of cancer that might need radiation therapy. But bear in mind, the type of radiation treatments we're talking about were done decades ago. And it's not the sort of thing that's done today. The type of radiation treatments used today are a lot more focused and cover a much smaller area. They can really zone in on a particular area. So, you know, radiation treatments for acne haven't happened for quite a long time, but the damage that we've seen from it definitely has led to increased skin cancers. And, and other types of radiation exposures, whether, you know, for acne or other medical problems, historically can cause skin damage. But the stuff that you might need today, I would not worry about skin cancer risk and avoid using it because it's very focused and the benefit of having radiation treatment for whatever it's you're receiving it to, to treat is far more important than worrying about the skin cancer risk. Uh, right. But if you yeah. were someone or your family was someone that was treated with radiation, you know, that's something to, keep, to bear in mind. You know, your, your parents, your grandparents that might have been treated for acne on their back, on their face, they really ought to be seeing a dermatologist on a regular basis. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And, of course, the other thing, Adam, that I think is the big risk factor other than than ultraviolet is, uh, we spoke about it on the break, is human papillomavirus. And this is certainly the biggest risk factor for skin cancers that occur on non-sun-exposed areas. Specifically, uh, we're seeing a large increase in uh, squamous cell carcinoma in the genital area, and uh, also, uh, we've seen uh, quite a few uh, non-melanoma skin cancers, for instance, in the nail unit and the finger, and these are also due to human papilloma virus, which is the virus that uh, causes warts for your listeners. Uh, and, of course, the most dangerous subtypes are the ones that are uh, sexually transmitted. So, you know, people who do have sexually transmitted warts have to understand that they have an increased risk of not just cervical cancer in women, but especially in men, uh, squamous cell carcinoma of the genital area. Now, let me ask you, a lot of times for the HPV, the human papillomavirus uh, patients, when they, these are people, uh, for those of you who might not be familiar, uh, that get warts, and we're talking about genital warts, as, and of course they're not dissimilar from the kind of warts you get on your fingers, and Dr. Rivlin was talking about the ones that come around the nail bed at the edge of your fingernails. Um, when they're treated, when they're removed, does that remove the risk of developing a cancer down the line? I, I think it, I think it um, lessens the risk. I wouldn't say it removes it completely, because remember, when we're removing the wart, we're removing the lesion, but we're not really removing the virus. Probably in a large number of patients, and it's hard to know the exact percentage, there's still intact virus in a latent form in the patient's own DNA. And that virus can sometimes, years later, lead to a skin cancer. But I think it's important to get the warts treated because it reduces the risk, but it certainly doesn't eliminate the risk. Well, and it also decreases the chance of spreading, whether it's to your spouse or any other partners you may have, you're going to reduce the risk of spreading this problem to other people. So That's absolutely correct. You know, definitely worth having it treated, and it, it sounds like it will greatly reduce, though probably not eliminate, the risk of skin cancers. We talked about some of the genetic syndromes. Any other important things that someone can do or uh, someone should be aware of that are related to risk, to, uh, to decrease the risk in, of skin cancers? Yeah, I, I, I will say this. I think there's been a lot of evidence recently um, with uh, some of, you know, diet, uh, especially uh, a lot of antioxidants in the diet I think are very important in helping eliminate risk. There are actually um, some pills now that are sold that are basically antioxidant risk and have some pretty good data in European studies in helping prevent skin cancer um, and... Um, there, and by the way, the, the ingredients in these pills are very similar to the pills that are given to uh, people who have macular degeneration, and they're given certain vitamin regimens uh, to prevent that. And I think that's also a sun-related uh, phenomenon to some degree. 
And so it's probably a good idea to be on those vitamins. There are many different brands uh, that are that help prevent macular degeneration and probably simultaneously will help prevent skin cancer. You know, it's interesting. Just a few weeks ago, we did a show on supplements and uh, talked about taking a multi and uh, calcium and some omega fatty acids, and maybe we should be adding something that had – and we did talk about antioxidants in the show – uh, there's lots of great sources of antioxidants, not only through supplements, but through diet, uh, the so-called superfoods that may have lots of antioxidants that uh, they deliver when you when you eat or drink them. Uh, so antioxidants have lots of added uh, benefit. And actually, you know, antioxidants, the reason antioxidants do good things for you is that they remove free radicals. What antioxidants do is take away free radicals from your body, they eliminate them, and the free radicals are the way uh, that damage is done to your body. The sun creates these little molecules called free radicals that go on to wreak havoc and ultimately cause things like skin cancers. And by having a nice high amount of antioxidants around in your body, you're fighting directly against all those free radicals. So you're, you're basically it's sort of like the anti-cancer uh, when it comes to skin cancer. So it certainly stands to reason that increasing the amount of antioxidants in your diet will help decrease the risk of skin cancer down the line. Now, let's talk about detecting these things. You know, people, of course, you know, you can go to a dermatologist and should, uh, especially as we get older, uh, if you're living in a sunny climate particularly. But let's talk about ways you can figure out that you've got a problem. If you're looking at yourself in a mirror, and of course, self-checks are very important. So you can talk a little bit about that, uh, Dr. Rivlin, and let's talk about what you're looking for and how often you should be looking. Okay, well, I, I think that, you know, obviously any new or rapidly growing lesion is something that should raise an alarm bell and something that should probably bring you to the doctor. But when we evaluate lesions, and this is what I try to explain to my patients, the two most important things, other than the growth rate, which I just mentioned, are symmetry and circumscription, and, and we need to explain that so people understand it. Symmetry really means that if you see a lesion on your skin and you draw an imaginary line down the middle of the lesion, that one side is almost the mirror image of the other. Unfortunately, nothing in nature is perfectly symmetrical. But you want it where it's relatively symmetrical. If you see that one side is radically different than the other, that's really not a, a good sign. The other thing we look at is circumscription. And what circumscription means is that you can very easily detect where the lesion ends on your skin and where the normal skin begins. If it's sort of blurred and you can't really tell, that's not a good sign either. And, of course, anything that doesn't heal that, you know, bleeds all the time and you can't get it to heal is another sign that, that something may be wrong. And I think those are the four main things to keep it simple for the listeners. You know, growth rate, symmetry, circumscription, and then something that just simply won't heal. Yeah, and speaking of won't heal, one of the things that we didn't talk about in terms of risk were wounds. There's a lot of people that have these chronic wounds, whether it's uh, on an ankle because of bad circulation or uh, maybe it's someone who is bedridden and, and gets a little sore on their backside. The wounds that take a real long time to heal, that are just chronically open and not healing well, there's a increased risk in those for developing skin cancers as well. That, that's correct. There, there absolutely is a risk. But more importantly, the risk of developing the skin cancer is those skin cancers tend to be some of the deadliest. The metastatic rate and the cancers of non-healing wounds is almost 40%, especially squamous cell carcinoma. And that is much higher than the average metastatic rate for, for squamous cell carcinoma as a whole, which is only about 7 or 8%. So those squamous cell carcinomas and non-healing wounds really require special attention. Well, you know, so if you're someone who has one of these or you, one of your family members has it, it's important to watch them. Healing wounds should slowly, slowly contract in and, and get better. If you notice something that seems to be taking just too long to heal, uh, you really ought to bring that up with your doctor because a lot of times these things are treated by primary doctors that are not used to uh, necessarily taking care of lots of wounds, and they know what to do to keep them clean and to put them in a healing environment, but they don't follow these things like surgeons do or like dermatologists do 
through the course of time as much as we do. So the idea that you might have a cancer in that wound is is not something that comes to mind quickly to those kind of doctors. And if you're relying upon your family doctor to treat you, they're certainly qualified to do that, but they might not think about testing and taking a little biopsy for skin cancer in a wound that's been around for many months and doesn't seem to be getting too much better. And so you, if you have one of these, it's a pretty good idea just to mention and say, hey, you know, this has been going on for six months, it's been going on for eight months, a year. What do you think of taking a biopsy? I've heard that skin cancers can come. It's, it's not a bad thing to suggest to your doctor if you haven't had a check. It's important for you or your family member to know that things are not heading that way. So you may want to bring that. Excellent point. Excellent point. Well, uh, so how often should you be doing these self-checks? You know, people are, I know I look at myself, I take a shower, and I see little new beauty marks popping up. I'm one of those guys that has little brown spots everywhere. Uh, and I do keep an eye on them. If I ever see something that's worrisome, I watch it for a while, or eventually I might find myself in your office getting one of them removed. But how often should you be doing those self-checks, and how often should the average person uh, throughout the United States come to see a dermatologist? Well, I, I think it's not a terrible idea for everybody, you know, family history or not, to be checked once a year. Skin exams are really a very simple thing to do. Uh, probably just takes a few minutes uh, nothing invasive necessarily needs to be done unless, of course, something is found and then we might want to do a biopsy, but probably gives a lot of people peace of mind to just have the doctor look you over from head to toe and just tell you, hey, I don't see anything that bothers me. Now, some people have a lot of lesions. Probably most of them are benign. I mean, we have patients who have uh, 500 or more moles, and these patients really should be seen more often and maybe require full-body photographs so we can follow and see changes. And that's actually the single most important thing, is to be able to follow things so you can see things that change. Change is probably the single most important criteria. Lesions that are benign tend to look the same for years and years and years. Lesions that are malignant tend to change their appearance fairly rapidly. And sometimes when people have lots of lesions on their body, that's difficult to notice. So it's worth having things like full-body photographs, and there are now some very fancy imaging devices that are on the market that uh, sort of keep track of these things and can document changes in lesions. So sometimes what will happen is the patient will go to see their dermatologist. They may have a very, very tiny skin cancer that the dermatologist may not notice. It may be almost too small. But what will happen is if the dermatologist is seeing you frequently enough, at least once a year, he can notice the change. And once he notices a lesion has changed, that is an absolute indication to have that lesion biopsied. Yeah, and it's important to catch these things early, as we mentioned earlier. But I'm glad, glad you talk about people that have hundreds of lesions. We're going to be taking a short commercial break. When we get back, we'll talk about people that have lots and lots of lesions, particularly basal cell carcinomas and nevi. And we'll be joined by our next guest, who's going to talk about Gorlin syndrome and efforts to help people with it and help treat it and increase awareness. We'll take a short break and be back right after these messages to talk about Gorlin syndrome and skin cancer on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. 
are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. We've been having a discussion about skin cancers, and we were just talking about folks that have hundreds of lesions. Sounds shocking, but there are rare uh, syndromes that will lead to having lots and lots of lesions, and the one that we're talking about right now is something called Gorlin syndrome. Gorlin syndrome is a, a condition where people get lots and lots of basal cell carcinomas and, and other nevi on the body, and it's a familial disease, like we were talking about with melanoma. Uh, this is something that occurs in families, and, and it can be uh, devastating and difficult to deal with, and we're privileged to have Christy Burr, who is a co-founder and currently the executive director of the Basal Cell Carcinoma Neva Syndrome Life Support Network, and uh, not only is she the executive director and co-founder, but she herself is an affected individual and, and can give us that perspective. Uh, Christy, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to be invited. Thank you so much. Well, you're kind. Let's talk about Gorlin syndrome. In a nutshell, tell us about the disease. Well, the disease was um, identified by Howell and Goltz and Gorlin um, well over 50 years ago. And it affects people in many different ways. It's passed on by a single parent or it can also be a first-time spontaneous mutation that when the egg and sperm join, there can be a mutation that occurs right then. So about a third of our members are the first person in their family to experience the condition. Um, it affects uh, people severely and is um, quite heavy burden by uh, the number of basal cells that can be evident. There are cysts of the skin. There are uh, the formation of Keratocyst, also called keratocystic odontogenic tumors of the jaws, um, planter pits on the hands or feet, palmer pits. Um, there's uh, over 50 different potential uh, manifestations, and not all the members get all of the manifestations, but significantly they do seem to uh, form multiple basal cells. And now... Is this something that if we're walking down the street and someone with Gorlin syndrome passed by, is this readily apparent? Would you see this on, on someone? Do you know, that's an interesting question because once um, those of us who have the condition, we seem to be able to pick each other out, but, um, <laughs> but uh, it can go very, uh, for, for decades it can go undiagnosed by pediatricians or family physicians dentist or dermatologist, it takes a good uh, trained eye and knowledgeable eye to be able to start to put the manifestations together. But there are clearly clinical signs uh, in that list of 50 where if, um, if someone were trained in a good medical school um, to be able to see these signs clinically, they could diagnose it fairly quickly. So when someone has Gorlin syndrome, we're talking about skin cancer today, and of course, you know, basal cell carcinoma is a significant component to that. Dr. Rivlin, for someone with Gorlin syndrome, how many basal cells are we talking about at any one time would you potentially see? Oh, it's not unusual to see hundreds, hundreds of them at one time. Um, luckily, uh, in my experience, I think I've had about five Gorlin syndrome patients in my practice. Luckily, most of them don't grow very rapidly because obviously it's almost impossible to treat 100 basal cell carcinomas on a single patient. So you almost sort of have to pick and choose. And therefore, again, you know, just following these people and seeing which ones are growing a little more rapidly and, and, and sort of taking care of those and, and just seeing, you know, what happens if one of them starts to grow out of control. But what's really helpful in this situation is to have a smart, well-educated patient who follows themselves very carefully and can sort of tell you, hey, doctor, this one's been growing uh, a little more rapidly than the others, and, and that sort of helps you decide what to go after. 
So now speaking about educated patients, Christy, tell us what the Life Support Network does to help educate people and, and to help further the understanding and the treatment of Gorlin Syndrome. Um, we do a significant um, number of uh, regional meetings to have people. This is a rare condition, maybe one in 44,000, so the average doctor would not see more than one patient. But by bringing people together, we empower them through educational information. We have start to help them identify the different manifestations, to practice proactive self-exam, as you mentioned earlier. But in our case, we recommend that they do a self-exam once a month. And that body screening that they do from head to toe, and we do mean from scalp to in between the toes and down on the feet, is critical for them to be able to learn how to identify basal cells. We follow the same uh, criteria that melanoma does in terms of the A, B, C, D, E uh, test, which is A for asymmetrical, if a, if a mole that you've had or a spot or a lesion uh, looks asymmetrical, we want it examined further by the dermatologist. If the border is irregular, we, we suggest that they you know, look further, get a biopsy. The color can change, the diameter. And then we talked about E for evolving or um, changing in texture, color, uh, growing, any of those things are part of evolving. So although this is that test is generally for melanoma, we, we definitely recommend it for the people with basal cells. We provide a newsletter that goes out to our members and our doctors. Um, we look at, we have a thing called the Sunshine Club where we send greeting cards and uh, recognize members' birthdays and their surgeries and uh, provide powerful reinforcement for their journey with this condition. Well, it, it certainly is a difficult journey. Uh, when we're talking about so many different lesions, and Dr. Rivlin, you're talking about choosing uh, lesions here or there, but when you've got hundreds of lesions, it seems like it could almost be throughout the entire skin surface that you'd have to be operating upon. So you know, thankfully, the basal cell does grow slowly, but uh, it sure seems like it's difficult to stay on top of things. It, it would seem to me that it would almost be constantly something having to be biopsied or removed or, or you know, treated in some way. What about topical treatments, Dr. Rivlin? Well, you know, um, first of all, I, I think your point is correct because that's been my experience is the, the people who have this syndrome are, are really getting cut all the time. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. There are topical treatments now, uh, things like Aldara, um, um, which is basically a miclimod, and uh, but I don't think that anything has really been proven to be terribly successful in, um, you know, in in, um, in slowing down the syndrome or making some of these things go away. I mean, I think there's a role for these topical treatments, but I do not think that it has been the answer. So, you know, more or less, it's just tracking things, observing things, doing these constant biopsies. And, uh, you know, if anyone listening has the, has Gorlin syndrome or a family member with Gorlin syndrome and is not aware of uh, the Life Support Network, how can someone, Christy, how can someone get a hold of you if they wanted to take advantage of your services? Well, we have two very easily accessible websites, um, bccns.org and gorlinsyndrome.org. Um, we're, we have a Facebook page, the phone number. Can I give the phone number? Uh, oh, yeah, sure, uh, please. We do 440 And with that, we try to provide them um, a forum uh, where they can discuss openly with each other some of the issues that they're going from, but also success stories. For instance, treatments in combination, a Mohs surgery, for instance, may seem pretty intense for the person who's experiencing it for the first time, but we will help walk them through that. And some of the more veteran members who have been able to 
learn coping mechanisms also help other members. So it's not just talking to myself, but sharing with each other that is so important and helps them realize they're not alone. And um, now talking I, about success, success stories, uh, what's the future? Do you see light on the horizon? Absolutely. There's some great new therapeutics that will affect not only our population, but people with basal cell carcinomas in general. Our members eagerly eagerly participate in clinical trials, um, and we help make them aware of clinical trials, uh, not just through the clinical trials website at clinicaltrials.gov, but also through our organization. And we see some of the sonic hedgehog um, new therapeutics on the horizon that go after the gene mutation and the signaling that is a result of that. People who have basal cell carcinoma may not have our complete um, genetic issue, but they do may have a signaling process in their system as well. And some of those therapeutics are being studied by uh, Genentech and Rausch and um, Novartis and now Lilly to look at what they can do, which will be least, less invasive and more compassionate care. As you can imagine, with many of the invasive surgeries, you can become quite morbid due to the scarring. And that's where some of your plastic surgeons take, take over, you know, with uh, repairing the damage that actually occurred from the surgery. Yeah, and you know, with someone with so many lesions, I have to say, it can be very difficult because you, you don't want to violate any areas where you have other lesions when you're doing reconstruction because for a couple of reasons. You don't want to damage that because you want to need to track it. And the other is uh, they don't tend to heal very well if you get the, one of the basal cells in line with the wound. So, you know, it can be very challenging, but it, it's encouraging to hear, uh, number one, that uh, folks within your network are helping with research, and, you know, being willing participants and really furthering the efforts. And speaking of that, we, we have a, a call. Uh, we have, I'd like to get the caller online. This is Polly. Uh, Polly, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Phoenix, Arizona. All right. Well, Phoenix is certainly a, a <laughs> nice. Thanks for calling. It's certainly a sunny spot in Phoenix, just like uh, Miami. How, how can we help you? What's your question? Well, I just wanted to uh, let everyone know how important it is to stay in touch with the latest treatment. I got my first basal cell at age 11, and the mistake I made was I had the, uh, the basal cell burned off for many, many years. I'm 51 now, and um, I'm in the process, as you can tell probably from my nasal-sounding uh, voice, I'm in the process of getting my nose actually reconstructed completely because uh there weren't any other treatments available when I was a young girl, and I'm so excited about the, the new um, drug trial that, that went through with um, some of the members of the network. And um, although I wasn't um, able to participate in the clinical trials, I was so excited about the new drug out. So um, I just want to encourage everybody to just stay on top of their uh, Take care and, and to um, look at our site and um, see and just get the support. Even if you don't have, you know, a chronic condition of it, it's really important to know um, how to treat skin cancer. And it's just a supportive group all the way around. I, I'm just so appreciative. And I just wanted to call in and say thank you to Christy and um, everybody there. Well, it's a great uh, a great call. Thanks for giving us a call. And we agree. We think this the work that Christy is doing and, and the Life Support Network is doing is fantastic. Uh, so thanks a lot for calling in. Um, Christy, let's go one more time. Give us how can people get a hold of you, whether they want to. And I might encourage people if you're listening and this is something that's important to you, something that you care about. You can always you can also make financial donations and support the network so they can continue doing their work, whether it's getting involved in research or supporting them financially or if you're unfortunately someone with the syndrome that would like to help get some support from the Life Support Network, how? One more time, Christy, tell them how can they get a hold of you? Again, through our websites, which are www.bccns.org, or alternatively, the www.gorlinsyndrome.org as well. 
Um, I want to just uh, note that May is National Skin Cancer Awareness Month, and I'm delighted that you would uh, have this program ahead of this. Uh, it's a great opportunity for people to really become aware of those first blistering sunburns that people experience as the temperatures rise and the sun becomes more pronounced. Um, one person in uh, every hour dies from sun, skin cancer, advanced skin cancer. So we want your listeners and all of the doctors and uh, uh, people who have skin cancer to take this very seriously. Uh, beware, uh, stay, wear sun protective clothing, and be well. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the show. And uh, we certainly agree with your message and hope that you can continue to do the great work that you do for a very long time. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to complete our talk about skin cancer and moving on to some of the, the latest and greatest treatment modalities and uh, important things that you can learn about helping people, helping maybe even yourself to avoid and, and treat skin cancer. We'll be back after this short break on New Reflections. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We were just talking about Gorlin Syndrome with uh, Christy Burr, the Executive Director of the Basal Cell Carcinoma and Neva Syndrome Life Support Network, doing great work and spreading the word, helping people with the syndrome. And we're back to talking with Dr. Dan Rivlin, board-certified dermatologist and dermatopathologist in Miami, Florida. And we have been talking about various ways of treating uh, skin cancers. Of course, cutting it out is the gold standard when it's necessary. But what are things we can do to avoid getting to that point? Well, I think we've talked about it. We, you know, we, we certainly, you know, there is this, the most common skin cancer, really, believe it or not, is squamous cell carcinoma. I know we all read in the literature that it's basal cell. And the reason is because I and many dermatologists are really no longer believe in the concept of precancer. I think many people have been diagnosed with something called actinic keratosis, which they've been told is pre-squamous cell carcinoma. But what they really are, are baby squamous cell carcinomas. And, of course, these can be tre treated uh, very easily without surgery. They can be frozen. They can be probably the most effective thing is now something called blue light therapy, where there is a chemical that we paint on the skin, especially people who have very large areas of skin that have been affected by, quote, unquote, precancers. And the chemical is then activated with a blue light, and it kills all the rapidly dividing cells. And it's fairly easy for the patient. They have what looks like a bad sunburn reaction for a week. And we found this to be very effective. A lot of people who've had recurrent cancers in an area, they get a blue light treatment, and then you don't see another cancer for years in that area. And they call the, the technical name is photodynamic therapy, and I think this has really been a big advancement in terms of 
uh, helping prevent uh, having to have a surgical situation. What uh, about oral we, therapies? Are there any medications people are using yet? <clears throat> well, believe it or not, um, Accutane, for people who've had some of these syndromes like Gorland syndrome and xeroderma pigmentosum, has been extremely effective. Now, even though there are all sorts of side effects we've spoken about with Accutane, and, and I'm sure people who've read about it in the, in the media know that it, you know, it's a potentially dangerous drug for its side effects. The fact is people forget Accutane is a vitamin A derivative, and vitamin A, vitamin a is one of the most potent antioxidants that, that we have. And I've had personal experience with patients who've had hundreds of skin cancers who've gone on long-term Accutanes, particularly there was a study at the NIH at the time I sent some patients up there for that, and didn't get a skin cancer again for years. So, yeah, I, I think back to the antioxidant thing. That's really where I became interested in antioxidants and skin cancers when I saw these people who were taking Accutane and getting really amazing results. So I think, yeah, well, that's, that's the key. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the scanning methods you were talking about. It seems like, you know, the, the best way to treat them is to prevent them. And so Correct. tell us what, what's so exciting about the new scans. Well, we're able to see things, you know, non-invasively, just putting these little scopes, if you will, on patient skin. And we can see things that we just couldn't see before with the naked eye. The most exciting is this confocal microscope. This is actually literally a device that one can put on the skin and see individual cells. Now, it's a little limited as to the depth. We're really only to, able to visualize well the epidermis and just a smidge of the dermis. But, for example, in melanoma, where people get, you know, when we look at it under the microscope in a real biopsy, what we know is that you get often what they call single melanocytes within the epidermis in what looks like a buckshot pattern. And we can now see that with these confocal microscopes without having to do a biopsy. So what it's allowing us to do is identify these lesions. And by the way, that, that confocal is accurate on lesions less than a millimeter in size. So these are very, very small lesions. And that's spectacular. I mean, we're almost at the point where you, it's almost like a, a Star Trek tricorder type of thing. You just hold it over it and it'll tell you whether or not. I mean, it's only probably a matter of time before those patterns can be recognized automatically and you just kind of touch it to something, it, it might be able to tell you whether it's trouble or not. A absolutely, absolutely. And, and we're getting to that point with these machines and we're, we're getting more and more criteria so we can be more specific and more sensitive with these particular devices. And if I may touch, Adam, on a personal note, I think we're going to be able to do better than that. There's a company, I won't mention the name of it, in Miami that developed a technique of finding biomarkers in the blood, and they've successfully done this for Alzheimer's disease. And we're currently using that exact technique to see if we can find a biomarker for melanoma. So what we envision is down the road, people go once a year to their internist for a physical, get a blood test. The internist will tell them, hey, we've detected you have a melanoma somewhere in your skin. And then through the use of these scans, like the confocal and the dermatoscope, we might be able to find these melanomas when they're a millimeter or less in size. That's spectacular. I mean, ultimately, that might eliminate or at least drastically reduce any mortality with melanoma. That, that's really, really exciting. We're unfortunately coming to the end of the show. I want to make a couple more points. Children are not immune from skin cancer. If you have kids, please make sure that they get good sun protection when they go out in the sun and don't let them stay out and get burned. Take care of your children because their children are going to grow up to be adults and it would be better if they were cancer-free when they do that. Uh, I want, there's so much we wanted to talk about, tanning, uh, tanning beds, self-tanning, but we're out of time. Dr. Rivlin, if someone wants to see you for treatment, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, they can certainly reach me um, at, at my office. I, if you want, I'll give the phone number. Uh, sure. 305-674-8865. Um, or you can reach us online at Skin and Cancer Associates, Miami Beach. Fantastic. Well, we've been talking with Dr. Dan Rivlin, board-certified dermatologist and dermatopathologist, a Mohs surgeon. Had excellent information about skin cancer. Dr. Rivlin, thanks so much for joining us this week on New Reflections. We're going to have some great shows coming up. Next week, we're, uh, we're, I'm going to be getting updates at the American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, and we'll be back with some great shows after next week with the latest and greatest in aesthetics, wellness, and beauty 
Tune in every Saturday, 12 to 1. Join me on New Reflections. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.